Well, can you remember the last wedding that you went to? Cast your mind back. Might have been uh, last week, last month, a few years ago. Look, there's many good things about attending a wedding, sure. But high up there has got to be the food, hasn't it? You know when the invitation comes through uh, and you're reading it through and you're thinking, oh, oh, yeah, I like those people. And then you see that it's just for the service in the evening. And your heart kind of sinks because you think, oh, right, I'm not at the reception. I mean, look, I'm, I'm pleased I've been invited, but I'm not at the reception. The feast, the food. Remember the day you were there, uh, your last wedding that you attended? The photos are dragging on a little bit. Finally, you've made it through the procession. You've said hello to the bride and the groom. Big, big grins on their faces. Uh, You find your seat on the table plan. You've worked it all out. It's always the most confusing thing, isn't it? But you you find out who you're on the table with. And then you take your seat. And if you're anything like me, you're rubbing your hands in anticipation. And then you hear that it's speeches before the food. And again, your heart sinks. Then finally, the food is served. The last wedding that Kerry and I were at was Kerry's sister, Tanya. She got married in a castle in Ireland. Fillet steak with peppercorn sauce and all the trimmings. Served with a delicious Rioja red. I could not wait. Did you catch the picture that Jesus describes is the future with him. Did you catch it? You see there in verse 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that the future with him is like a feast. In fact, it's the mother of all feasts. It's not Philip's steak and Rioja wine. Look, Isaiah 25 verse 6. It will appear on the screen. It gives us a better picture of this feast. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Can you picture the scene? I love the comment in Isaiah uh, that on this mountain, on Zion, in heaven, in the the city, we'll prepare a a feast of rich food for all peoples, all cultures, all different nationalities. Whatever your picture is, there's my picture of the feast. This is the future with Jesus. And how, how do I know that this is true? Because Jesus is the king who is, as Matthew helps us see, ushering in his new kingdom. The new world is going to happen because he is the one who has come to make it happen. And in a world full of lies, full of cynicism, full of hatred, full of oppression, full of Rising temperatures and uncomfortable night sleeps, full of disagreements at work, full of fractured friendships, full of greed, full of selfishness, full of inequality. The king is bringing in the new world order. 
He ushers in the new king. And he is the one who has come to make it right. The future with Jesus is pictured as the mother of all feasts. And yet the future without Jesus is unimaginably horrible. See the comment there in verse 11. Sorry, verse 12. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the question stands, how do we get to the new world? How do we get to the mother of all feasts? How do we get to the banquet? The banquet where... The fathers will be there, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The banquet where loved ones who trusted in Jesus will be there. How do we get there? And we get there by faith. We put our trust in the one who will take us home to the banquet. That is what faith is. To the feast of rich food for all people. Best of meat. Finest wines of love care, unity and peace. Faith. Perhaps you've been a Christian a long time and are thinking, yes, 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 I get that it's faith. I get that. But, but, but what about today? I put my trust in Jesus a long time ago. Perhaps you're in the room and you've never done that. And you're thinking, how do I get to this banquet? Is there even a banquet there? And Jesus meets a centurion. Matthew records it as a way to get to the banquet. We get by faith. You've been a Christian many years and you're thinking, okay, I've done that. But what about now? What about today? What about in the nitty gritty of life, in the heat at work, at home, when life is a grind or when life is a breeze? The story of the centurion shows us what living faith really looks like. What living faith really looks like. Remember last week, verses 1 to 4, cast your eyes over it if your Bible is open. We looked at the universal problem. We looked at God's judgment on a world that has rejected him. Seen in the forms of disease and decay and death. And then we saw a glimpse of the universal solution, the king, the son of God who was willing. And today we meet the centurion. Today we see The encounter that Jesus has with the centurion. See there in verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, this isn't far from uh, the mountain on which he gave the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. Not far. And when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Look, in case we thought that Christianity was just for the weak, we get the strongest of the strong. Here's a centurion, the highest ranking soldier with all the power of the military at his disposal. If there was ever a guy in society who was the can-do guy of all things, it's him. He's the biggest can-do guy. Look at verse 9, we get a glimpse of this. As he's speaking with Jesus, he says, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Here is a powerful man. He's strong. Perhaps for the first time in life, the centurion feels 
helpless. As he's been woken up by his need of help. I don't know, as I look upon you and I look in the mirror, I see quite a few Bob the Builders. I don't mean great at construction. I mean when Bob the Builder sings, can we fix it? Our reply is, yes, we can. You see, I think I'm quite sorted. I, I, I think I'm quite strong. I, I think I've got life sorted in lots of different departments. And, and I'm in charge. I'm in control. You see here, this story helps us see what the first step of faith is. And it's to recognise that we are in need of help. We're in need of help. See how the centurion recognises his desperate need of help. He comes to Jesus asking for help. Do you see how Matthew just captures that? Here's the most powerful man in this community. And he goes to a poor peasant preacher. And he says, I need your help. remember the day I asked the Lord Jesus for help. If you're a Christian, can you remember the day or the time or the period of maybe months, years of coming to understand your need of help? I remember exactly where I was. I was on top of a mountain in Scotland. I remember quite vividly understanding my desperate situation. Before a God who had created me. The age of 22, I remember recognising my need of help. It took me 22 years or, well, it took me, yeah, that time to acknowledge God. And God in his goodness opened my eyes. I remember that 20 odd years ago. But I've been struck this week by my weakness. You see, there are some situations that I'm not in control of. There are some situations that I can't fix. I'm in danger of spending a lot of time in anxious wait, wanting to control, wanting to fix it. And yet I can't. There have been many times this week that I've seen my sin before me. My failings as a husband. My failings as a father. As a leader of town church, as a friend, as a colleague, I've seen my selfishness even though I know I'm a child of God. And I wonder about you. Where are you trying to control? Where are you trying to fix the unfixable? You see what living faith is? It's an acknowledgement that you're in need of help. You're not in charge. I'm not in control. My failings are before me. Look, if the first step of faith is to recognise that we're in need of help, look at the second step of faith. It's to see who Jesus truly is. Verse 5, again, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, 
My servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. Do you see how he addresses Jesus, the peasant preacher? Lord, verse 6. And in verse 8, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. See, the centurion doesn't think that Jesus is weak, wet, feeble. He seriously thinks he can help. Look how he thinks he can help. Jesus, my servant at home, is terribly paralysed. He just states what's wrong. Look at verse 7, Jesus' response. Well, shall I come and heal him then? Oh, you've come to the right man. You've come to the right guy. The centurion doesn't try and fix it. He doesn't try and tell Jesus what Jesus needs to do in the situation. He simply tells him what the problem is. He tells him what the matter is. It's very much like me when I've got a car issue. Good old Vinny. I mean, you can imagine it now, turning up to Vinny's garage and saying, Vinny, listen, something's loose. Certainly it's the carburettor. Uh, or the cam belt, the cam belt or the drive shaft. Something wrong with it. I think it's cracked. I can hear it. It's loose. That would be ridiculous. Vinny knows that all I know about cars, it's got a steering wheel and engine and four wheels. But what I do when I go to Vinny's garage is I say to Vinny, Vinny, I'm certain something's wrong. You just need to fix it. Just fix it. And you see the centurion does just that. There's a humility about the centurion. Because he knows who he's dealing with. There's a conviction that he's seen Jesus. And he's heard him teach. And he's watched him in action. There's certain humility there, isn't it? Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, verse 8. But just say the word. My servant will be healed. And look how Jesus responds to this. With the people around him, he says, this is great faith. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Look at what awaits the person of faith. The banquet. The mother of all feasts. How do I get to this place that Jesus is talking about? Faith. One, I acknowledge that I'm in need of help. Two, I see Jesus for who he truly is. Do you see Jesus in this story? See how powerful Jesus is. Verse 30, the, verse 13, sorry. Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. We've got a series of stories. We talked about this last week. Later in verse 14, we see Simon Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And we see Jesus, verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. And when evening came, verse 16, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and he healed 
all the sick. We talked about this a little last week. Do you remember what we said? Jesus has been teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Remember his last section of his sermon. The wise and the foolish builders. It's the wise man who puts his trust in the words of Jesus as the firm foundation. That's like a wise builder who builds on rock as the foundation. It's the fool who listens to the word of Jesus and yet doesn't do anything about them. Doesn't build life. Trust in Jesus. Trust that they need desperate help and trust that he's the one who can help. And yet we talked about these stories being a foretaste of what is to come. See, did Jesus come to heal disease and prevent decay? Well, no, not in his totality. He did those things as a foretaste of the great thing that is to come. You see, the centurion servant did not live forever, right? Simon Peter's mother-in-law surely died. And it's a good reminder to us all that as we read in Matthew about the power that Jesus has, it shows that he's capable of dealing with our ultimate state. I don't know, perhaps you feel let down by Jesus. But perhaps he hasn't healed a loved one. Perhaps he hasn't prevented someone that you love dearly from dying. Perhaps he hasn't delivered you from disease or from decay. Perhaps there's a situation with loved ones at home and he, he hasn't done anything about it. Perhaps there's a friend who doesn't trust in Jesus and you've prayed for 5, 10, 15, 20 50 years and Jesus hasn't done anything about that. Perhaps you're in the room pretty disappointed with the cards that you've been dealt with. And here's a danger when we come to a passage like this. That perhaps you've heard this passage being taught or another passage like it. And you've heard it from people who have misconstrued a passage like this and, and told you that if... That if you had more faith, then perhaps you would see miracles around you. Perhaps if you had great faith, like the centurion, then people around you would be healed and people that you love wouldn't die. But you see, this is not what Matthew wants us to get from this passage. Matthew wants us to understand that it's not... How much faith you have. It's not on how enormous the amount of faith that the centurion has. Or the quality of faith even that the centurion has. No, no, it's about what the centurion is putting his faith in. It's about those two steps. The centurion recognises that he's helpless. Doesn't look like great, powerful, strong, mighty faith to admit that you're helpless. But you see the centurion does it and then he recognises that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who can do something about it. Here's a centurion and he comes to Jesus and says, I've got a problem. I trust you. I trust you. Look, verse 17 pulls this together for us. 
as Matthew records a passage from Isaiah 53. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. You see, Jesus, there's not a promise that those around us are going to be healed. There's no promise that he's going to prevent a loved one from dying. That's not the promise to hold to. The promise is the one in which Jesus has already fulfilled. You see that in those words. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. Matthew wants us to go to Jesus who says, I'll come under your roof. (laughs) I'll come into your life you know I'll take up your infirmities and I'll bore your disease the disease of sin and I'll do that on the cross and I will definitely do that here's the promise that you can hold to what you need to do recognize recognize that you're in a helpless situation and you need him you need him for forgiveness of sins and you need him daily the power To deal with ongoing sin. I need him. And recognise who he truly is. And his promise is if we trust him. He will bring us home. He'll bring us to the feast. The banquet that awaits. And he'll say sit there. (laughs) Next to Abraham. Go on. Have a chat. Have a natter. About faith. That's why you're here, not on any credit that you deserve to be here, and of faith. Because you knew you were helpless. You cried out to me for help. Let's finish. Uh, I know that as I speak, uh, a memorial Thanksgiving service is going on for my first uh, ever pastor at my home in Carlisle. He died uh, over a year ago and they just got round to with covid to having a Thanksgiving service uh, for Peter Maiden. And here's what he wrote two weeks before uh, he died. He was dying from cancer and at last he, he knew two weeks before that it was the end. And he writes this, he said, Without being triumphalistic, I trust. I want to assure you that I have peace which is overwhelming. It is not the same, of course, for my wife, for the children and grandchildren. My heart breaks and my prayers are intense for them, that they will adjust to life without me. But it's quite a prospect to be thinking that within a few weeks I may be with the one whom, having not seen, I love. It's also an unbelievable prospect that very soon I may have no further struggle with the flesh, the world and the devil. Please pray that I make it through these weeks or months which remain without being shipwrecked. Satan is most subtle foe, as all of us know. But I'm going to be with him, the one who loves me. A banquet awaits, dear friends. And the king ushers the banquet in. Let me pray and then we will sing of the banquet. We were once his enemy, but now we're welcomed. We're seated at his table. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you 
that we see exactly what faith is. Recognising our helpless state and then putting our trust in the one who can do something about our deadly situation. Thank you so very much that the promise of heaven awaits and the promise to defeat sin. The presence of your spirit within us is real and for us to claim today. Help us to sing these truths with great joy as we trust in you, our King and Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.